KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 103.9 FM, this is Flashpoint, shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. I'm KYW's Antoinette Lee, and this week on Flashpoint, we're digging into the gun violence crisis in our city by talking to the people who have been directly affected by it. Our newsmaker of the week talks losing friends to bullets and finding a path forward. People that I grew up with, they ended up in a bad spot. They're either dead, locked up, or still in the streets to this day. And we discuss the emotional toll on the mothers and families left behind. There's no words to describe the kind of pain you experience when you have to bury a son or daughter. And our change maker of the week is redefining her teen son's legacy after a tragedy. These kids need somewhere to go. They need something to do. Get them off their block. Expose them. It's a half hour you need to hear straight ahead on Flashpoint. I'm Antoinette Lee, and welcome back to Flashpoint, where this week we're digging into the gun violence crisis and the stories behind it. KYW's Sheridan Howard has our newsmaker of the week, Isaiah Harris. Harris is a 17-year-old from North Philly who's giving us a look into the firsthand experience of navigating through this crisis as a young black man. Nowhere is safe. Even if you think you're in a good neighborhood, it's not safe out here. It's my son. And your son? And it's not safe. Like, I'm scared to walk out my house. There's no hand no names on her. I met James and Keisha in a Philadelphia neighborhood park. James was playing with his three-year-old daughter while the guys played basketball in the backcourt behind him. That's when we met Keisha with her two-year-old son. Both say the nonstop gun violence in the city has them terrified. So much so, they're afraid their children are always at risk. Fearing something as natural as reaching their teenage years will be a fierce battle. A battle 17-year-old Isaiah Harris is fighting day by day. Our newsmaker this week, black youth like Isaiah, who know the bleak statistics and defy them, who've lost loved ones but keep the faith in a brighter future ahead. Thanks for coming, Isaiah. Thank you for having me. Now, gun violence has really impacted your life quite personally. You've lost family, friends, and loved ones. Uh, I lost my, my uncle. He was like really a father figure to me. I was always with him. He got shot. I lost my cousin. He got shot. And yeah, it just it's just hard now, not knowing when you can go or who can go and when they're going to go. So, yeah. Also, due to just being in the streets, my cousin in and out of jail, somebody in my age, impacted it a lot. Kind of hard because growing up where I grew up, people that I grew up with, they ended up in a bad spot. They're either dead, locked up, or still in the streets to this day. And growing up, I knew that I had to like get away from them. And they understood that, so that's the good thing, and they respected it. And getting out from under those pressures, especially in North Philly, a lot of people in that same situation would say that's nearly impossible. It's hard just to get to and from school, having to dodge scary situations, especially for a kid. Yeah, no, definitely not not in Philly at all, especially where I'm from. Not like breaking the bonds that I had with the people I had growing up, but getting away from them. a lot of beef going around like you don't know who you can talk to who you can't talk to stuff like that especially back there where i lived at even when i was like younger about like four or five years ago i had a basketball court in front of my house and they wound up shooting and i was in like the middle of a shootout running hot behind cars so it was kind of hard growing up where i grew up at. it was pretty dangerous down there uh, even when i was younger then the people got older stuff got worse so yeah and the older you get the larger the target is on your back right now at this age i gotta really like stay out the way watch what i talk to watch my surroundings watching where i go and being smart about stuff and how i'm moving around the city so yeah that's a big that's a big part and at this point it's so easy for kids to get a gun it's easier for them to get a gun than it is to get a book to me i think it's real easy like if ogs or they big bros hanging on a block and stuff like that your big bro 
on the street, he got a gun on him, and they little bro be like, bro, I need a gun, I gotta handle this. They give it to him. It's just crazy now. Is it too easy? Yeah, to me it's too easy, yeah. And a lot of this conflict between youth is starting over social media, online. How do you navigate friendships and social media? Yeah, I would say that it's like it's like real hard to honestly focus on yourself when it's like people out there, social media and stuff like that. And that's one thing that you gotta stay off of. If you don't like criticism or anybody just talking down on you. But yeah, I just focus on myself and do what I do, so. And what about those people, Isaiah, who say, you know, you're from West Philadelphia, you're from North Philadelphia. There's no way out. You can't avoid being a statistic. No, nah, I don't really believe in that because I think it's just, people being around the wrong people in the neighborhood or they got dragged into it somehow. And I don't think it's people that that's in the street, they want to kill somebody. I just don't think they want to die and they doing it to protect themselves. So everybody got their own story, but I'm believing that saying you can do anything as long as you put your mind to it. Speaking of which, your eyes are set on a successful future, not statistics. And your mom, she's helping you get there, right? And not the way you thought, not through basketball, but rather you want to own your own business, your own barbershop. My mom told me, you gonna have you gonna go to a barbering class this weekend, and I had a basketball tournament the same day. I was like, no, I ain't cutting here. Then coronavirus came around, they canceled everything. So I was like, oh man, like I might as well go. So the first thing that clicked to me, cause I was younger, I was about like 14, 15, was money. You can make money from it. So instantly I heard that. So then the second week I started to like ask more questions and get into it. And then your mentor stepped in and he's had a lot to do with your success as well because he's a barber, but he's also another father figure for you now. And my mentor, P. Michael, who basically opened up to me. He told me you can come through anytime you want to cut. He opened up to me. I came through every week, started cutting my homies and friends, and then it just took off from there. And then through your mentor, you've learned the importance of networking. Have you always been that business-minded or that entrepreneur? Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Around, before I was cutting hair, I wasn't, but like my mentor, my mentor told me a lot. He showed me a lot also and helped me with a lot. I think that started when he came around, honestly, because I wasn't really worried about nothing business-wise. I was just playing basketball, going outside, playing the game with my friends. And it quickly changed from something that made you money to a passion of yours. Yeah, it's a, it's a passionate thing, especially even if it's a stranger, I feel like you should still ask questions and make conversation because knowing who you can gain relationships to, knowing who your client know can get you far. And also, yeah, it's about the money that you make, but the relationship is, is more important. How important is it for young men, young black men to have a mentor? If you know you got nothing going on and you want to be something more in life, I think it's real important to get you a, a mentor that knows something in life that's experienced life and they can show you more to life instead of just being on a corner or being in the streets all day. Cause you can end up dead or in jail tomorrow and it's way more to life. We in Philly, there's a lot of other places you can go. Especially having a mentor, like you can, that's somebody to talk to, that's somebody that you trust. So that plays a big part emotional-wise. The images that young men see, the images that young black men see, the way that the world depicts or portrays them, that's not always so positive. How do you counteract those messages in your heart and in your head? Yeah, I don't believe that. I believe in myself, so I ain't really focused on nobody else or what they got to say because I know what I got in plan. I know what my dreams is. I know what my goals is. As long as I reach them, that's all I care about. Uh, that I got to keep going. Uh, no matter what anybody says, if somebody criticizes my cutting or the way I play basketball or anything, I gotta take that in and not take it as like somebody talking down on what I'm saying. Yeah, just take advice from the right people and just be yourself. And you say because you believe in mentoring and the importance of mentoring, you'll do the work when you get older, when it's your turn, you'll show up. You'll show up for that kid. So yeah, I'm going, of course I'm gonna mentor a kid one day. I would tell him like, try something on your own if you need help to come to me for it. And that I'm always be there for him, of course. If you need me, call me. Anything like that. If you need to talk, let me know. I'm always come around automatically just to see what's up with him. 
And you've got big dreams. You're not stopping at barbering. You're uh, you're going to college and dabbling in everything from real estate to finance. Going into my life, like further into my life, uh, barbering is has a big part in it. Uh, I plan on doing real estate, wholesaling stocks, just building my life from there. I want to live in Atlanta, Miami, and New York through the younger days of my life when I get to when I get older because I'm only 17 now. But and then. I want to travel a lot to a lot of different islands, just travel, period. And when I get settled down, when I get towards that older age, I hopefully, prayerfully, this happens, I would want to live in London. What would you tell those kids out there who were once where you were, who are trying to figure out which direction to go in, have maybe a few bad influences in their lives, and are afraid there's no way out, but they want to do better, and they want to see that brighter future ahead? What's your message to those kids out there? I would say just stay in the right lane, do what you want to do. Don't worry about what anybody else got to say and just do your thing. Just do your thing. Thank you so much for coming. No problem. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. This week's discussion is about the faces, stories, and grief behind the more than 300 murders in Philadelphia this year. More than 120 kids alone have been shot in 2021. At least 21 of those young people have died. Now, behind those numbers are lives that were cut short and the loved ones left to pick up the pieces. This week's Flashpoint show is dedicated to those gun violence victims and their families. Here with us on Flashpoint to discuss, we have Dr. Dorothy Johnson-Spite. She's the founder of Mothers in Charge and Nadisha Williams. Nadisha is the mother of Antonia Walker Jr., who was just 15 years old when his life was taken by gun violence in March. First of all, thank you both for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Nadisha, I'd like to start by you telling us about Antonio. Antonio was the perfect model child anyone could ask for. He was so focused, he was so kind, so thoughtful, so pleasant. He was a vegetarian. He did not like harming animals. I mean, I couldn't get him to kill a bug. He studied science. He loved uh, STEM. He was a great athlete. Um, his first year running track, he already made it to the pen relays. I mean, just a perfect teenage boy. So what have the past few months uh, been like for you and your family following his loss? You know, we're all just taking one moment at a time. I think for the most part, we're all still in shock. Like it still feels like it's not real. Um, but I think everybody's kind of getting adjusted with our new reality. And Dr. Spy, unfortunately, you've been through this grief process as well, right? Which is what led you to start Mothers in Charge. Tell us about that and how you found yourself in an activist role. So my 24-year-old son, colleague Tabar Johnson, was shot seven times over parking space. Um, he was the love of my life. Uh, he graduated from the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. And the plan was that he was going to go back and get his master's degree and I was going to get my doctoral degree. We're going to work with children at risk because that's what he did. So he was very active, real peaceful kind of guy. That was my second child that I had lost. So I really didn't think I could do it again. At some point, and it wasn't right away, that I decided I had to live. I had to live because of who Khalik was. And I had to live for my other daughter. So I started Mothers in Charge in May of 2003. And it was a way for me to deal with my pain, my anger, my grief, everything. There were several other mothers that I knew who had lost children. And we came together and said, we're gonna do something about this violence in the city. 
So that's what we've been doing on the front lines with supporting families and doing prevention and intervention work. We're in schools and the jails, anywhere you can think of. Uh, you mentioned pain and anger as some of the emotions that you felt. Nadisha, what are some of the emotions that have come up for you in this past couple of months? Outside of your kid, is, is no, you know, in my opinion, no greater loss. It just, the pain is just, it's like a hurt emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. So I just never knew this kind of pain even existed. And sometimes it feels paralyzing. Um, I also have other sons that I feel I have to show up every day for them. So I have to really just double down on my self-care and really just allow myself to just feel regardless on how bad it hurts. And I have to ask you both, um, how do you feel about the mayor declining to declare a gun violence emergency? This is a public health epidemic. It is the leading cause of death among African-American males, 14 to 34. And this year alone is on target for the worst year in history. Right now, over 300 murders. We're on target to even beat last year's numbers in terms of the number of homicides. And what we're seeing now is not just the the males, it's females, it's babies. No one is exempt. This is a public health epidemic and it needs to be treated that way. Nadisha, what are your thoughts and feelings on it? Going through this pandemic really exposed me to what society really takes serious with COVID. You know, it was shut down because people were dying. That's how serious the people lives matter. When I saw National Guards out to stop people from vandalizing businesses, I'm like, if they can do that to save a building, you can't do that or make this space, make this situation a a pandemic or make it a national. I, I don't understand what's the difference. So let's talk a little bit about local news coverage. Dorothy, from an organizer perspective, what are your thoughts on the way that gun violence is covered? Um, We've done some recent virtual sessions with news folks. Some of the things that came out as a result of those conversations was that oftentimes the folks who are reporting are getting their direction and their charge from a higher up. I've heard several um, journalists and folks who who cover the news say they wish that they could do more in-depth kinds of stories about what that person or that family is actually going through other than it's reported, no witness, no motive, no arrest, bang, on to the next story. That is kind of rough for families to experience. You know, uh, there needs to be, I think, more sensitivity and maybe even understanding a little more about trauma. Even a video, sometimes I feel like when they have videos of like the person actually firing a gun, I'm like, that, that's, that's a lot. It's painful to watch. It is. It, it hurts. And the impact that it has on our children. Dr. Spite, I want to give you the last chance to dance here. Anything else you want the people to know? We need more people working with our young people. This year has been an, an alarming number of young people. I'm talking 13, 14, 16 years old who are losing their lives. And oftentimes it's because they have no one that shows them the direction or the care or the love that they need. The more I think we can get these messages out, we can give folks hope and inspire them in some really dark times right now. And maybe people can get involved and feel that they can make a difference because we've been doing that for 18 years. We need volunteers. You don't have to have lost someone to become involved with Mothers in Charge to make a difference. We have grief support every Thursday. We have anger management. We have all kinds of programs that people can get connected to. 
and maybe even visiting our website at www.mothersincharge.org will give uh, your viewers and your folks um, a way to um, know more about what we're doing to make a difference and to save lives. Nadisha and Dorothy, I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being open and vulnerable with us. I'm sending both of you love, light, and healing. Now we're going to bring on Lisa Christian. She is a therapist with the Anti-Violence Partnership of Philadelphia's Counseling Services. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. From a professional perspective, can you tell me what happens uh, to our bodies when we experience a type of trauma, such as the crises that are going on right now with losing people to gun violence? One of the first things that begins to happen is that our bodies literally begin to produce cortisol, adrenaline, and other um, stress hormones begin to literally flood our central nervous system. And when that happens, those stress hormones put us into a fight, flight, or freeze response. And as a direct result of that, they are exhibiting behaviors such as hypervigilance. And when these things happen, they have a deleterious effect on not just our lifespan, but how we are going about living our lives day to day. So are you seeing this all over the city or in certain areas where uh, gun violence is more prevalent? No, we're seeing it all over the place because everyone is impacted. And again, it has to do with the amount of information we are absorbing on a daily basis with respect to the surge in gun violence. This is a public health issue and a public mental health issue. The two are intertwined. We cannot separate them out. We need community-based solutions. We need community-based, faith-based, all of our community members. We all have a part to play with respect to this epidemic because that's what it is. It is an epidemic across the country and we all have to come together. There's room at the table for everybody. We have to come together with respect to prevention, intervention, postvention, we need all of our resources to respond to this in such a way that is going to be culturally relevant, culturally sensitive, that provides equity and inclusion for everybody. So for those who have been directly affected by gun violence in the past few weeks, um, what resources are out there for them? Well, for families in particular, um, the city of Philadelphia, there is an initiative um, called the Philadelphia Cares Program. And Philly Cares provides real-time support to anyone who's been impacted, to family members, extended family members, and so forth, communities that have been impacted um, by a homicide. So that is a resource. Um, Philadelphia Cares, their peer crisis responders will provide that support for 45 days. Um, with the hope of passing on that case, if you will, to community-based organizations that can provide longer-term support. Um, there's a variety of victim service agencies around the city um, who can assist with financial support in the form of VCAP compensation. There are therapists that are available through the Anti-Violence Partnership. Um, but again, you know, with the, with the surge in violence, 
um, all of these resources are being taxed. There is a huge wait list, not only at AVP, but other community-based organizations as well. These issues contribute to other mental health problems. Depression, we've seen a huge spike in people with depression symptoms, anxiety issues. All of these things are unfolding and they are creating a problem with resources in the city of Philadelphia. You're basically saying that, you know, these resources are are out there, but they're also strained right now because of everything that's going on. Yes. So I, I, what is the answer? Like, what are you telling people who are coming to you asking for help? That's a very good question. You know, we are very honest with people about our wait list, you know, and, and I am very, very thankful and supportive and humbled by the fact that many people have reached out in the community, community-based organizations have reached out after seeing an article um, that appeared uh, with Brett Williams, who talked about the long wait list that AVP has and our capacity issues. So victim service agencies have reached out, other private therapists have reached out. We've even had people reach out from different states Um, offering to provide us with some help and some support. But that's a Band-Aid. That is not a long-term solution. Last year on our wait list, we had under, I'd say roughly under 75 people. This year, we have 175 people. That's a lot of people on a wait list. And when you're dealing with trauma issues, when we're dealing with these complex behavioral health issues, substance abuse issues that people bring because they are self-medicating. It's not like the wait list is going to turn around overnight. And with the complexities created with COVID-19, in addition to the gun violence, all of these issues go hand in hand. We are dealing with epidemics simultaneously. And so if someone were to come to me today, you know, they experience some type of tragedy and they'd say, I, I need to see a therapist. I need to talk to someone. I mean, what advice should, should we be giving them? We need to still provide referral information, even though all of these systems are taxed. We still have to provide the information. So how can people reach your organization? Uh, they can call the Anti-Violence Partnership, our number is 215-567-6776. Lisa, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for being here on Flashpoint today. Thank you very much. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. Welcome back to Flashpoint, where every week we highlight a person making a difference in our communities. This week, Nadisha Williams is our changemaker. 
So Nadisha, you and your family have started a foundation for Antonio, right? About a month before Antonio was murdered, we took a family trip. I have three sons, Antonio and two other sons. We took a trip to Miami and um, I tend to ask my kids very strange questions sometimes. And I asked them, would they rather live short like a lion or long like a lamb? And then Antonio's response was he would rather live short like a lion. And I explained to him, I said, you know, because he asked me, what do you mean? I said, you can even just, you know, work like me and just pay your bills and live to 90. Or let's say you can have the world at your fingertips and, you know, you can have whatever you want, but you had to like go at 25. Just a random question. He's like, you said I can have everything. I'll have everything. I said, yes. He said, okay, I'll rather live short like a lion so that I can get back. Planning his friend, I just couldn't get that conversation out of my mind. I was thankful that I had it. It gave me some direction on how to handle it. So I feel like I have to give back to the things that he loved. Like I want to do cooking classes with the community. These kids need somewhere to go. They need something to do. Get them off their block. Expose them. I'm very big on exposing my children to different things, traveling to different places, eating different foods, being involved in different, you know, cultures and communities and things like that. And if I could just take that motherness that I gave to him, not taking credit for his brightness, but I want to be able to help other children be exposed so it can follow along with literally one of the last conversations that I had with them. And his 16th birthday was last month, right? Yes. And they celebrated in a special way his school and uh-huh. everyone came together. Tell us about that. Um, they connected with the school district to um, let us use the Bartram Village field, which was the same field that his balloon release was, which is the same field that he um, actually ran track on just for regular workout, like a lot. So we did the run for him. And we also donated uh, $1,500 to the middle school track team for new uniforms. And so Nadisha, how can people uh, find out more about Antonio Walker Jr. Foundation and get in contact if they want to help? We already have a Facebook set up, Antonio Walker Jr. Facebook and also Instagram, which is Antonio Walker Jr. on Instagram. If you know a changemaker we should highlight next, let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at Flashpoint Show. Now, usually I end us with a quote, but this week I want to shout out my cousin, Kiana Graham. This week makes one year since her life was taken from us at 23 years old. She was part of the inspiration for this show, and I'm thankful for the light that she left in this world. This show was produced by Arian Fulcher, Charity Howard, and me, your host, Antoinette Lee. Until next time, y'all. Thank you for listening. Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.